We are on Ksubis Samachtes Amar Aleph, 69a, as we continue on in our discussion about the Nidunya, about the dowry, uh, specifically in the context where the father already passed away. And we say that uh, we estimate, we tried to figure out how much the father would give toward the dowry of his daughter when his daughter uh, gets married after the the father passes away, uh, the assumed amount is 10%, unless we know otherwise. That was something that we discussed in last week's stuff. Uh, and so now we will continue uh, that discussion. We are on the last stuff. This is the last page, full page of uh, the sixth parak, the sixth chapter. Uh, and this chapter mostly focuses on this concept of the dowry. We had various topics about stucca, about charity, but for the most part, we discussed uh, the dowry issues, and then we'll, we'll begin a new topic as we begin the seventh parak, the seventh chapter in next week's classes. So, says the Gemara, Talalei Rav Lurebi Benechiti. Uh, Rav sent the following letter to Rebbe, Benechiti, uh, in between the lines. Uh, there's different explanations of what, is, what it means exactly in between the lines, but it could either be really in between the lines or in between the different pages, the, the sewing of the pages of the cloth that they used to use when they would uh, send letters. Uh, why would he do it specifically in between the lines? So some want to suggest, a very novel approach, is that uh, these uh, the question that's being asked has to do with a halachic question. That was during the time period when uh, they did not write down the Oral Torah, now we write down the Oral Torah, but they did not write down the Oral Torah at that time. And so therefore, whenever they would ask a question, they would send a letter, they would try to write it in an abnormal way uh, to signify the fact that really we cannot write it down, but uh, in order to ask the question, we have to write it down uh, because we're sending a letter to Rebbe, who's further away, so therefore we'll write it in this uh, abnormal way. Okay, so he asks the following question. Ha'achin shishibdu mahu. Essentially the question is, the brothers have an obligation. After the father passes away, the brothers, the sons, slash the brothers of the sister, uh, receive the estate. They have an obligation to, uh, number one, feed their sister. They have to provide sustenance for their sister. Number two is they have to provide a dowry of, let's say, 10%. Now we know that, let's say the brothers, uh, they sell, or uh, we'll discuss also at Mashkin, let's say they designate some of the land uh, to be used to pay for a loan, but they designate that particular land. So then when it comes to uh, the sustenance, uh, the, the the sister has no right to collect from that which they sold uh, because uh, it's uh, it's already been sold and there's no lien on the property because it's not clear as to whether or not how much uh, she how much food she will receive. Uh, it's not a it's not a definitive amount. It's not a very specific amount. And so therefore, there's no lien on the property and she cannot collect from anything that they sell, that the brothers sell to somebody else from, from the estate. The question is, what about the dowry? The dowry is something which is specific. It is something which is specific. It's either 10% or somehow we assess how much the father would have given to, uh, to his daughter when she gets married. Again, she gets married after the father passes away. So when the brothers, this, this was the question that was asked. When the brothers, let's say they either, well, we'll see, either they sell it or... Uh, they designate this as payment for a loan. Um, does the sister have the right to collect? Is there a lien on the property? And we'll see the answer is yes, uh, because there, it's a specific amount. 
But Haviyasa Rebichia Kamei, Rebichia was sitting when Rebbe received this note, when he received this message. Amalei Machro Mishkona. Rebichia asks Rebbe, well, what's the case? Are we talking about a sale where the brothers sold the property? We're talking about a case where they didn't sell the property, but they designated it uh, as payment for a loan. Uh, so it wasn't transferred over yet, but it was designated in case they couldn't pay in cash, they would pay with uh, with uh, with this with this uh, with this property. So Amalei my nafkamina ben machro ben shemashkona motzin leparnas of motzin lemazonos. Rabbi says, what's the difference? Either way, uh, we do we we do uh, there is a lien on this property. We do take it away from the buyer and we give it to the. Sister, the sister has the right to collect for the dowry. However, this is only true with regards to the dowry. It's not true with regards to the sustenance. The sustenance is not a specific amount. And so therefore, with regards to the sustenance, there's no lien, but there is a lien on the dowry. Okay, the Gemara now has a bit of a tangent here as to why it is that Rav, who sent the question, why didn't he specify uh, that uh, what case he's referring to, whether it's a sale or whether it's a mashkun, a, a uh, designating a certain amount towards uh, uh, designating a property uh, as payment for a loan. So Rav Tarvaya Kamibayale. Rav, sorry, Rav Imachum Kamibayale Niftale Machro Imashkano Kamibayale Niftale Mashkono. Why didn't Rav specify? I think my answer is Rav Tarvaya Kamibayale. He was asking about both. He was asking about both, and so therefore he didn't ask about one because if we only had one, we wouldn't know the answer to the other, as the Gemara is about to explain. And so therefore, Rav just said it as a vague language to show that he's really asking about both situations, both the situation where the brothers sold the property and a situation where they designated it as a mashkon, that the property was designated as collateral, um, as, uh, as, as payment uh, for, the, for, the, uh, for a potential loan. Um, the Savar, he says, this is what Rav was thinking. Rav says as follows, if I wrote in the letter that I'm talking about a sale where the brothers sold it, so then there's a problem. Because if the response would be that uh, we do not, the, the sister cannot collect from the people that bought it, that solves a situation where it was sold, but what if it was a mashkun? It wasn't sold, but it was designated as property to be taken for a loan. So then I wouldn't have an answer because maybe in that case we would give that to the sister. And if I would have asked, says Rav, if I in the letter I would have said a mashkon, that I would have been asking about uh, what if it was designated to pay back a loan, so that wouldn't solve the problem. Let's say the response was that we um, we we do in fact take it away from uh, from it being a payment for the loan. That only solves that, but I wouldn't solve the question of a sale. So after Leishibuda, the In the end of the day, the point is Rob is asking about both cases. He leaves it vague because he's asking about both cases. And the answer is, the point is, the answer is, according to Rebbe, that we do, in fact, there's a lien on the property. We do, in fact, take it out for the dowry. It's a specific amount. We do take it out for the dowry. This is as opposed to Rabbi Yochanan. Very interesting. Rabbi Yochanan, Amar Ein Rabbi Yochanan argues and says that no, for both, for the sustenance, when the brothers owe their sister uh, for the sustenance, and when they owe for the dowry, once they sell it, Ein Motzian, we do not take it away. There is no lien on the property. We do not take it away to pay for the, for the sustenance, and we don't take it away to pay for the dowry. 
the dowry can only be used, according to Rabbi Yochanan, from the whatever is already existing, whatever currently exists from the estate. If they sold property, if the brothers sold property, so then the sister has no right to collect from that property which was sold. Rabbi Yochanan essentially argues on Rebbe. And this is a big question because Rebbe is a Tana. He's a rabbi from the time period of the Mishnah. Rabbi Yochanan is a rabbi from the time period of the Gemara. And there is a principle that a rabbi from the time period of the Gemara cannot argue on a rabbi from the time period of the Mishnah. There's a big discussion. Why not? Some say because they have the ability to, but it's not smart for them to argue with a rabbi from the time period of the Mishnah. They're essentially wrong. So it would not be smart of them to argue with an earlier generation. The earlier generation, specifically the time period of the Mishnah, knows more. Uh, and so therefore, it wouldn't be smart to argue with them. Alternatively, some explain that, no, it's not just that it wouldn't be smart, but there's actually, it's forbidden. It is forbidden for a rabbi from the Gemara to argue with a rabbi from the Mishnah. But the Gemara, it's an interesting, uh, we don't have time to, to delve into it, but it's an interesting uh, discussion. But the Gemara essentially asks, The Gemara wants to know, Rabbi Yochanan, who is from the time period of the Gemara, how is he arguing on Rebbe? Did he not hear about Rebbe? Uh, but if he would have heard of Rebbe's opinion that we do take it away from the, from the there is a lien on the property and we take it away from the buyers, he would accept it. Or no, maybe he even heard about Rebbe, but he didn't accept it. So the Gemara tries to bring a proof uh, to this idea, uh, to this question. Basically, did Rebbe Yochanan know about what Rebbe held or did he not know about what Rebbe held? So Tashma did Mar Misha Mesve Niachte Banas Vaben Vakad Marishan Vinatla Isun Nakasim Vlaspikashnia Ligvos Achimesa Ben Am Rabyochan Shnia Vitra. Rabyochan's of the opinion. Let's say you have the following case. Father dies. And he has two daughters. One daughter gets married. Okay, she gets ten percent for the dowry from the estate. Then the son dies. After the son dies, now the daughters, the two sisters, now divide up the estate. Now that they divide up the estate, the second sister who's not yet married, could she uh, receive 10% before they divide up the estate. The Rabbi Yochanan says, no, they do not divide up, they, she does not get 10%. Once it's already Yerusha, it's inheritance, they're dividing up anyways the entire estate. She doesn't need to get uh, the 10%. The 10% is only if one of the brothers has the estate, she receives 10%. But if she's the one who's receiving the estate, she's dividing it up between her and her older sister, so then she does not receive first 10%. Uh, whatever she receives, she uses that towards the dowry because she's receiving anyways 50% of the estate. So Amr B'chanina, Rabbi B'chanina argues in Rabbi Yochanan and says, No, G'dolim Mizu Amr B'chanina Parnasavim B'chanina Mizonos Vat Amr B'chanina Vitra. Rabbi Yochanan argues and says, What are you talking about? No. Uh, even though she's receiving 50% of the estate, we know that let's say the brother were to sell the estate to, to somebody else, that we would in fact, there would be a lien on the property and we'd take it away from the buyer. So if that's the case, so then certainly in a case where they receive 50% of the estate because the brother died, so therefore both sisters receive 50% of the estate, certainly in that case, argues Rabbi Hanina against Rabbi Yochanan that uh, she would first receive 10% towards the dowry and then they would divide up the estate. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan argues and says, no, once they receive the estate, there's no need for her to receive 10% of the dowry. She's already receiving 50% of the estate. So the Gemara wants to say, oh, So Rabbi Yochanan did not respond to Rabbi Hanina. He didn't say, he didn't say, who said such a thing? 
must be that he knew about Rebbe. He knew about Rebbe, but still kept quiet. Otherwise, he would have asked Rebbe where do you get this idea from that we could remove it from the buyers? Must be that he knew about this idea already. And that's why Rebbe Yochanan still argued on Rebbe and kept quiet. So we try to prove from here, the point is that he knew about Rebbe and still argued on Rebbe, which is a very interesting idea that Rabbi Yochanan, who is from the Gemara, was arguing on Rebbe, who was from the Mishnah. Maybe Rabbi Yochanan was an early Amora. He was from the earlier generations from the Gemara. So maybe he has the right to argue on because he's close to the time period of the Mishnah. Possibly. But the Gemara says, no. The Gemara says, no, we can't bring a proof from there. Because maybe he never heard about this uh, idea from Rebbe. And now that he's hearing this from Rebbe Chanina, the reason why he doesn't respond is because he believes that this is just a totally different case. That's why he didn't respond. In our case, the daughter, okay, yeah, it might be true that he would accept this from Rebbe that uh, now that he finds out from Rebbe for the first time that uh, there's a lien on the property when the brothers sell it to a third party and therefore we would give it back uh, to give the dowry back to the sister. But that's in that case. In our case, it's a very different case. It's where the brother dies. When the brother dies, they divide up the estate. Both sisters receive 50%. She's receiving so much anyways, we don't have to give her any, uh, we don't have to set aside 10% from that estate. She's already receiving 50% of the estate. And so therefore, it's a totally different case. We can't compare the two. And that's why Rabbi Yochanan doesn't respond. So Raviyamar now says to Ravashi, based on this argument, you're going to tell me now, according to Rabbi Yochanan, anytime she has a lot of money, she won't receive 10% of the dowry from the brother? You're going to tell me, let's say it's a different case. It's not where the brother died and now they're dividing up the estate. Let's say she just finds, she wins the lottery. She finds a lot of money. You're going to tell me now also she doesn't receive 10% of the estate for the dowry? How could that be? Are you really going to tell me that? So Amrle responds by saying, What I meant was that uh, she receives uh, 10%. In general, she would receive 10%. Even if she's very wealthy, she receives 10% from the estate. But in this case, she's already receiving from the estate itself, she's receiving 50%. She's dividing it between her and her older sister. She's already receiving 50%. So from that, in that scenario, we're not going to tell her, you know what, before they divide up the estate, the remaining estate, she should get 10%, and then they should divide up the estate. No. She's she's receiving so much already from within the estate itself. In that particular scenario, we will not uh, say that she should receive 10%. Okay? Uh, that's, uh, that's the first half of the conversation, of this conversation. Um, this recording will be a little bit longer than 20 minutes so that hopefully we could uh, get to the bottom of the page. So, Amar Meymar. Amar now says, new topic. Bas Yoreshes Hava. Okay, new topic. We're discussing the dowry. The dowry, she receives 10%, let's say, from the brothers, uh, from, the, uh, from the estate. How do we conceptually view this? It, do we view this as though she, it, this is part of the inheritance, this is part of the Yerusha, that uh, the brothers receive the entire estate, but the sister receives 10% of the estate as part of Yerusha, as part of inheritance? Or is it really like the brothers owe the sister money? They owe the sister money. What's, uh, or, or property, they owe the sister, but it's not coming in as inheritance. What's the difference? The practical difference would be, do the brothers have the right to say, if it's inheritance, they divide up the entire estate, uh, the entire field 
evenly, meaning not evenly 50-50, but 90% goes to the brothers, 10% goes to the sister. But the, the brothers have no right to say, you collect from this particular area or that particular area. Each field should be divided up 90-10. And the brothers have no right to say where she should collect from. But if we conceptually view this as though the brothers owe her money, it's not part of inheritance, but the brothers owe her money, so then the brothers could say, you, we're giving you this, take it. This is what you're taking, this is what we're giving you. So Memar says... She's getting it as inheritance. So basically, Ravashi clarifies with the Memar and says, "Fine, this means if she's getting it as inheritance, the brothers have no right to say, oh, collect from this area in the field, or I will give you money.' No, they have no right to say anything. She has equal rights in the entire field. She only receives ten percent." But in, with regards to all the fields, of the, all property that the father has, she has 10% of all property. And the brothers have no right to say, you have to take from this particular area, from that particular area. It's, uh, she has 10% in the entire property. However, Ravashi says, no. Conceptually, it's that she's owed money. She doesn't receive it as inheritance. She's owed money. And even a Maymar backtracks. Even a Maymar backs out of this. Essentially, uh, we know that even a Maymar, a Maymar who originally held that she receives it as inheritance, he even backtracks because we have the following case. There was a court case where a Maymar was there and he overheard the litigants talking, and there was a it was this type of a case where there's the um, the sister saying she deserves ten percent, and the brothers are arguing, and the brothers even say we'll give you a certain area and uh, be happy with that, or we'll give you money and be happy with that. And Amemar didn't comment. He didn't say you can't do such a thing. He never. He didn't say that. Must be that he agrees. He backtracked. He changed his mind, and he agrees. That really, when she receives it, she doesn't receive it as inheritance. She receives it as, uh, this is a payment that the brothers have to give to her. And if that's the case, the, the brothers could say, pick from here or pick from there. Uh, the brothers have the right to say where she could take it from. Okay. The Gemara now says, once we know this, the Gemara now says, once we know that this is not coming as Yerusha, as inheritance, the dowry is not coming as inheritance, but it's coming as really a loan. So who owes her the money? Is it coming from the father? Or is it coming from the brothers? Who cares? What's the difference? So there's a big difference. There's two big differences. This is a general question. Let's say um, somebody, the father owes somebody money. The father owes, uh, he took a loan, he owes somebody money. So once he owes them money and then he passes away, so now, when the, they come to collect from the estate, because they're coming to collect from the father's estate, so there's a ruling that when they collect, they have to collect from the, 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 the cheapest land to help out the orphans, the children of this father who passed away. And also, when they collect, they have to take an oath. When somebody collects from the father's estate, after the father passed away, they have to take an oath. So here too, let's say she is owed by the father, the sister is owed by the father. That means she would have to collect. If she's collecting from the brother's, so then she would have to collect from uh, the cheapest, uh, the worst uh, part of the field, and she would have to take an oath. However, 
if she's owed by the brothers, conceptually we view it as though she's owed by the brothers directly, so then she wouldn't have to take an oath, and she could collect from what's referred to as Bainanis, from uh, a mid-level field. Not the best, not the worst, but a mid-level field. So that that's the difference. Whether or not she's supposed to collect from the father, and now this is viewed as uh, being uh, collected from the estate of the father that's in the hands of the of the children, so then she would have to take an oath to collect, and she would have to take from the worst part of the field. Or do we say that no, that she's collecting from the brothers directly, and therefore she could collect from um, without it, without taking an oath, and directly from them from the mid-level, mid-range part of the field. That's the question. So Tashma, Duravina Agvela Brisa Duravashi Mimar Berei Duravashi Benetz Vishal Bishvua Mibrei Duravsama Bray Duravashi Ziboris Bishvua. Essentially, they bring a proof from a certain case where the sister collected from the brothers from without taking an oath, without taking an oath, and also from the mid-level. So this shows that uh, really she's collecting from the brothers directly, not from the father, but from the brothers directly. In that story, she also collects from one of the brothers passed away, so she collects from the children of the brothers. So when it comes to the children of the brothers, that's a different story because that's already from the from the children of the brothers. So for that particular person, she would collect with an oath, but in a standard case, it's without an oath because she's collecting directly from the brothers. Okay. Uh, that is the end of that part of the Gemara. Let's go on. Shalchlei Rav Nechemia Breder of Yosef L'Rabba Bar of Yosef Zuta Min Ardai Ki Asa HaIsisa L'Kamach Agba Isra Nishchasim Afilu Meitzdrobala Essentially, when you collect, you have to collect the dowry from property. So that even would include the bottom part of a mill that's attached to the ground. That would be fine to collect from, from anything attached to the ground is also part of the ground. You can only collect from the ground from from karka from that which is attached to the ground. Ki also ha'isid lekamech agvayis in achasim afilu. Sorry, Amar Ravashi ki avinam be Rav Kahana ve magvina afilu me amad beisi. You could even collect from rent. Rent is viewed as part of the ground. It's uh, the house is connected to the ground. You could even collect uh, from rent. It has to be attached to the ground. Okay. This last part of the Gemara is the following story. The point of the story is about where you collect from, but it gets into a whole tangent because when they sent the question, uh, they, they sent it improperly. They didn't uh, refer to Huna, Rav Huna, by his full name as a rabbi, but they just sent the question as Huna uh, in, in, in an insulting way. So it will lead to a tangent about uh, how you have to have honor um, for uh, for the rabbi. So, Shalach the Rav Anan the Rav Huna. Rav Anan sent to Rav Huna. Huna Chavrin. So he sends it to him without calling him Rav Huna. They say, Huna, my friend, Shalom, peace to you. Ki asya ha'isr lekamech agve isr nechase. Basically, when when uh, this woman comes to you, so then then she she's deserving of 10% for the dowry. So Yosef, Rav Shishis Kameh, when Rav Huna received this letter, which was insulting to him because he didn't say Rav Huna, Rav Sheshis was there. Amrle, so Rav Huna tells Rav Sheshis, Zil emale, ubishamti yehe, mandalo amrle, anan anan mikarkayim utatali, man yasef be marzicha beresha. Basically, Rav Huna sends Rav Sheshis and tells him, go tell the person who sent me this letter, Rav Anan, go respond to him, 
and call him Anan Anan without calling him a rabbi. He didn't call me a rabbi, so don't call him a rabbi. And ask him two questions. First of all, when I pay her, do I pay her from land or from, from even from movable objects? And also, basically trick him. Ask him a tricking question to show how he really, he really doesn't know what he's talking about. Ask him uh, a random question. Where does the where where does the the mourner sit at the at the head or not? Uh, but a random question because he's not going to know and it's insulting. Basically, show him how he doesn't really know his stuff. He's not calling me a rabbi. I'm showing him. Don't call him a rabbi and prove to him that he doesn't know what he's talking about. So Azor of is the commander of Anan. Rav goes to Rav Anan. Amalei, Ma Rabba Rav Huna Rabba de Rabba v'Shemut Shemut Man Delo Amalei v'Ilav Shemut Lohav Kamina. He's embarrassed to, to, to say the following because Rav Anan, the Rav Sheshis, is talking to his teacher. Ravuna is the teacher of all teachers, of both of them. And he says, I wouldn't even speak this way if not for the fact that Ravuna said I have to say this. But I'm telling you. And he says, he calls him Anan Anan without calling, without calling his teacher Rabbi because he has to repeat it. He has to repeat exactly the way Ravuna told it to him. He says, Anan Anan. Anan Anan. Mikar Mitatali. Basically, when we pay back the dowry, is it from land or is it from movable objects? And also this random question of who sits at the head, but basically to insult him because he doesn't know the answer. So Rav Anan doesn't know what's going on here. Also Rav Anan, like Mar Marukva, Rav Anan comes to Marukva and he says, He says, I don't know where Rav is sending me. He, he's sending me, he's not calling me rabbi. And he's asking me these random questions, which I don't know the answer to. What's going on here? So Amalei, Amalei, easy, easily gufadu of the haichihava. So Marukva says, "Well, tell me what happened, and I'll explain to you what's going on." So he tells him the whole story. Amalei, hachi v'hachi hava, Maisa. We're now on sixty-nine B. Amalei, gavra de lo yada mainihu, marzicha. Shalchle rulu ravuna huna chavrin, mar marzicha avel dechsev kol mar Hashem al tavo base mizrach. Essentially. Markov explains to him the reason why this is happening to you is because you insulted Rav Huna because when you sent your letter you said you didn't call him Rabbi. So he's responding back to you by not calling you Rabbi and he's asking you a question that you don't even know the answer to which is where does the Avel, the, the mourner, where does he sit? He sits at the head of the table. You don't even know the answer to this question. And we and, and just a few more lines. How do we know that an Avel sits at the head of the table? Amr Avahu Minan Lavel Shemisa Barosh and Ambar Evchar Darkam Be'eshev Rosh Veshkun Kamelech Bigdud we have two different sources to the idea that in Avil, a mourner, somebody who's in mourning, sits at the head of the table. Some explain because we want to give them the attention that they need so that they feel comforted. So therefore they sit at the head of the table. But the whole reason why we're mentioning this is really just as a side tangent because in the story... Rav Huna wanted to show Rav Anan how he doesn't really know the answer to these questions, how, that he should have proper respect. Um, and that's why we're mentioning this. But in the end of the day, the last line, before we reach the next Mishnah, Rav says, in the end of the day, when it comes to the dowry, when it comes to the Ksuba, the 100, 200, when it comes to providing sustenance, all that the brothers have to give to the sisters, uh, but all of that is coming from land. It doesn't come from doesn't come from movable objects. It has to be given from the property of the estate of the father. It has to come specifically from the property. In the end of the day, we discussed a lot. This was a longer class. We discussed a lot, but we discussed um, 
when the brother when the brothers sell the property, uh, then according to Rebbe, the sister has the right for the dowry at least uh, to there's a lien on the property to collect from that property that was sold. We discussed the fact that the sister receives this not as inheritance, but it receives this as uh, really uh, a loan that uh, she deserves from the brothers. Uh, and we discussed that it's specifically from the brothers. We discussed the fact that it has to be given specifically from the land, or it could be from the rent of the house, or from a mill which is attached to the ground, but it has to be given specifically from the ground. And then we had this whole story where Rav Anan sent this letter to Rav Huna, but didn't uh, send it with proper respect, didn't mention him as a rabbi, and therefore as a response, Rav Huna was teaching him a lesson, and sent him in response. He called him Anan Anan, didn't call him a rabbi in response, when he sent his letter and he asked him even a question that he wouldn't know the answer to, to put him in his place. Uh, and so we have that whole, we have that whole back and forth uh, of that story of how you have to, yeah, a person has to give proper respect to their rabbi. When they ask him a question, they have to call him, they have to call him rabbi. Okay, there's a lot there, um, but uh, that was the first page. And in the next recording, we will discuss the last Mishnah of the sixth chapter.